0: Over the 4th of July weekend, the flags of the city flew at half-staff to remember a man we call our hometown hero. And now we're here today to celebrate the life of Louis Zamperini. I
1: was actually on my way to bed on the night of July 2nd, and I heard my cell phone make a little noise and decided to check that last message, and it was Louie's daughter Cynthia telling me he had passed away that night. And I got down on my floor and
0: had a a good long cry about it. And I felt almost surprised that he had died, even though he was 97 years old, because he seemed immortal. And not just because he had faced death over and over and found a way through every time, but because his spirit was so strong, so vital, that it seemed immortal.
1: My grandfather has been a lot of things to a lot of people. He's a testament to the strength and resilience of the human spirit. But to me, he's always just been my grandpa, the loving, kind, and generous man who went above and beyond to give me a chance at
0: a better life than he had, and the wisdom to be a better man than he was. That's a tough act
1: to follow. While my heart is indeed broken, we won't get to see Louis on the red carpet his spirit and love of life will remain unbroken for eternity. The last time I talked to him before he passed away, I said, Dad, you're dying today, but your work continues. And his story is being told to millions and millions and millions for years to come. I brought the film to the hospital the day before he went to ICU. And uh, it, it was amazing. It was amazing because he was it was looking at this beautiful, beautiful face of this 97-year-old man with still sparkling, beautiful blue eyes, and showing him his life when he first saw the the planes, it starts with the planes, and he saw Donald and he said under his breath, Phil. And I thought, oh, Phil, he remembers Phil. Like it had nothing to do with whether or not I did a good shot or whether or not the movie's great. He, didn't, he was just seeing Phil. And when the flack went off, he jumped and had a reaction because that was the war he was in, and he remembers those days. And when he was running, when he watched himself running, was... I, I can't explain what that... I, I felt so privileged to be witnessing this moment, watching somebody who's at the end of their life, watching himself be at the peak of his physical ability, and seeing himself with his brother... Who you know in louis's mind he's he was a very, very devout Christian and believed as soon as he passed away he would be with Pete again and his mom and dad and so to watch him reflect and kind of visit with them and remember their times together right before he was preparing to be with them in heaven it was it was extraordinary it's extraordinary
0: Louis amperini what a what an example of the series that Paul or that uh, Matt has been taking us through—the uh, extraordinary life. That's what he lived—an extraordinary life. If you aren't familiar with with uh, Louis Zamperini, let me uh, encourage you to find out about him and, and read about him. Uh, of course, there's the movie, the the big movie, but there's there's a short movie as well. I think it's entitled "Captured by Grace," about 30 minutes long. I would encourage you to to follow up with that because that talks about what happened after the war and his coming to Jesus Christ. I say this to ask you a question. To ask you about your faith. And I do so because uh, faith isn't something that's uh, well understood in our world today. It's uh, an odd thing. Faith is an, an odd thing. People really don't know how to def- define their faith, and yet uh, they claim to have a faith. It's a a flimsy faith, a self-contrived faith, a a subjective faith. So, yes, let me ask you about your faith. How would you describe your faith? The difference that it makes in who you are, in what you do, in what it means to others. Paul, in the armor of God, takes us right to the heart of faith, a a biblical faith. And in the armor of God, he depicts faith as a shield. <clears throat> Something specific. It's not nebulous, it's not flimsy, it has substance to it. It's specific and consequential. Shields had been around for thousands of years before. Rome entered the the world scene, but but Rome redefined shields and re-implemented them. The Romans uh, had turned war into a science, much of the time reinventing the, the implements of war. How they were used and what they did. This is nowhere more true than with the shield. The shield is one of uh, Rome's most visible reinventions. Roman shields were large as much as twice as large as the shields uh, carried by uh, the other armies of the world. It was uh, rectangular. For the, for the most part, other shields were, were uh, circular, sometimes oval, but most of the time circular. You can see Greek shields that are round, the Roman shield was wooden, it was arched. Greek shields were, were flat, as were Viking and uh, barbarian shields. Greek shields weighed about 15 pounds. Roman shields weighed around 22 pounds. That, that's quite a difference, about one third more, huh? <clears throat> uh, for most of the ancient army, shields were designed for hand to hand combat to protect the individual soldier as he, he went into battle. But the Romans used their shields corporately. They would set them on the ground to form walls with their spears protruding out. You had to make it through that barrier before you could get to them in. If arrows were sent their way, they, they lifted them overhead and they layered them like the, the scales of a fish so that they were more impenetrable. The Romans had a number of formations, uh, battle formations that keyed specifically off the shield. One was called the turtle. Uh, A squad of soldiers would form a box with their their shields overlapping and and over the top with with spears or, or swords protruding out. And they would march through crowds, through mobs protected by the shell of the turtle decimating everybody that was in, within reach roman shields had other distinctives but the, the point is that it was more than an individual means of protection it was a a weapon used corporately used as a, as a unit As the Romans used them, shields became in many ways more an offensive weapon than they were a defensive weapon. I hope you catch catch what that means for us. The point that it has here for us. Our faith is important individually, yes. But it also serves best when employed corporately. When we join together as a unit, kind of redefines our place in the plan and program of God doesn't it his work in our world you and me members of the church our faith is offensive as well as defensive it it protects yes but it also impacts those around us as as we come together as the church philosophically uh, shields presuppose war An attack by the enemy. Uh, Read with me verse 16 as we look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Begin back at verse 14 though. Stand firm, then it says, with the the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the the breastplate uh, uh, of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That last phrase, the, the, the flaming arrows of the evil one, draws us uh, directly to that basic presupposition, doesn't it? And it very, may very well delve into an aspect of theology that you would prefer not to deal with. You'd, you'd rather avoid war, conflict, the ugly downside of life. I'm sure most of us would rather sit off the side and think there is no war. that no one's out to get us. There won't be any conflict, no no, uh, heated anger, no vile accusations, no hurtful words. But this is not true. In fact, such a premise is a lie. All believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are at war we are in conflict with others we have a choice we can either face the battle realize the conflict to uh, confront the issues or we can uh, concede the battle and surrender to the enemy those are the op- the options we have the only two options we have. There is no middle ground, no no fence to ride. Folks, we will either be victims of the battle or victors in the midst of it. We can become effective with our equipment to, and enter the battle, or we can be the witless victims of it. Those are the only two options we have. The Greeks of Sparta, who shaped their society, uh, around a rigid military lifestyle. They were quite different than Athens. Athens was uh, art and philosophy. Uh, Sparta in, in in the southern part of Greece was real rigid. And it was real military. But the Spartans had a saying, with it or on it. Let me put that in a historical context for you. Uh, I I found it interesting because as the soldiers were going to war, the mothers would take the shields to their sons. And they would hand their sons the shield and they would say, with it or on it. And what they meant was uh, come back a hero carrying the shield or come back a fallen hero carried on the shield. In either way, they were to fight the good fight. Isn't that a term Paul uses of himself? He says, I have fought the good fight. Perhaps you know now where I got the title for this sermon. With it or on it. These are the only two honorable, the only two faithful options we as believers in Jesus Christ have. How are we attacked? You and I... uh, The text uh, uses the words with with flaming arrows. Arrows uh, were used to distract armies. Yes, they would take a toll. They would wound and hurt people. But most often they were used to disrupt the advance of an army. The advance of an opponent. A volley of arrows would be sent flying overhead, which would cause the attacking army to... uh, stop and defend themselves to to uh, uh, take up de- defensive positions. When the Spartans uh, faced King Xerxes at Thermopylae. Spies came back and uh, said that Xerxes had so many archers and arrows that it would literally blot out the sun as they were sent flying into the air. King Leonidas responded, Good then, we'll fight in the dark. The flaming arrows of the evil one undermine our purposes as soldiers of the cross. We are to take the lies, the falsehoods of the enemy head on. And remember where we were last time. Our confrontation utilizes the, the gospel of peace, the shoes, the, the sandals that you, you see down there. And it's based on God's truth. The enemy wants to stop God's truth. Here and now, he wants it stopped. There is to be no truth, no peace, as far as you're concerned and as far as we are concerned as a church. The enemy wants it stopped. He wants it stopped right now. He wants us cowering in darkness, fearful, and overcome. With despair. That's where the enemy wants us. Now mind you. The enemy doesn't mind if we play religious games. In fact the enemy loves religious games. He, he loves religion. Wants us dabbling in, in churchianity. Religion is great as long as we don't gear up. And get about the business of the battle. Paul looks at the Roman military shield, the the mainstay that it was of the Roman army, and he directly links it to our faith. Take up the shield of faith. Did you hear that? Take up the shield of faith. It requires a response, an active response. Take up the shield of faith. What does he mean by this? How does it come into play in your and my life? As I said at the top, everybody seems to have a faith. Some kind of faith. Faith in something. And after all, what's wrong with letting people have their own personal faith? What what they want to believe in. It's almost a constitutional guarantee, isn't it? To answer this, let's... See what the Bible has to say about faith, what the the biblical writers meant by the word, what it it means theologically, and how it applies to you and me. Faith, trust, belief are uh, three biblically synonymous words. Faith, trust, belief. You may already understand that. Synonymous words. Each giving insight into the other one. By faith, we trust, we believe in Jesus. He is the object of our faith. That's a nuance about faith that most people don't understand. Faith always has an object. Faith always trusts in something. But catch this, faith is only as good as its object. If you have faith in humanity... Your faith is only as good as humanity. If you, Your faith is in yourself. If you, if you trust in yourself, your faith is only as competent as you are. If your faith is in optimism, my family, I grew up in a family that valued optimism. Your faith is only as good as optimism, whatever that is. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he is the object of, of your faith. He is what you trust in. We've talked about that phrase in Christ, how it's a positional phrase. We talked about it uh, in in Romans, or I I mean uh, in uh, the breastplate of righteousness where I I turned us to Romans. Each one of us in this room is positionally either in Adam or in Christ. Those are our positions. If you've not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you're still in Adam. You were born that way. You need to be be reborn in Jesus Christ. Each of us is in one of those two positions. With the breastplate of righteousness, I turned us to Romans uh, chapter 8 and verse 1. This time, I want us to look at Romans chapter 6. By the way, if you need to catch up on these messages, they're on the the, the website. Uh, You can uh, catch up on all of them, Matt's and mine. But Romans uh, chapter 6, it's in a context about being united with Christ, and it says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Where? In Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. In Christ, in Christ, believers are to be dead to sin and alive to God. Positionally, we've moved from being in Adam to being in Christ. But faith is more than a a past tense event. It's also a a present tense and a future tense uh, implications with it. Uh, By faith, we were saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin, and we will be saved from the presence of sin. Why? Because each of us are such competent people? No, because of where our faith is. Our faith trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, in what He did and in what He plans to do. The shield of faith speaks of that present tense salvation where we are currently being saved, currently being protected, where we're currently finding security. Now, if you've not picked up that shield, what happens to that? You're out in the cold, aren't you? Have you caught Paul's idea here yet? With a shield, his point. Faith gives us strength. It gives us confidence. Faith enables us to to be strong. It allows believers to face life with the power of God in hand. It enables us to, to confront life with style and with confidence. It enables us to experience what Matt has talked about in the extraordinary life. Faith, trust, belief. If you have faith in Christ, you are strong. Why? Because you're trusting in Him. It's not in you. It's not in our government. It's not in world leaders. It's not in doctors. It's, it's in Him. He is the object of your faith. We looked at Romans 6, let's look at Romans 1, verse 17. Paul quotes the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. By the way, I was saved in the book of Habakkuk. You ever heard of anybody that's been saved in the book of Habakkuk? Uh, 117, Paul says, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is where? By faith, from first to last, it's all-encompassing, Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Look at uh, faith, trust, belief in the light of that quote from Habakkuk. By the way, uh, there's three New Testament books that are written off that quote. Galatians uh, and Hebrews are the other two. But uh, the righteous will live by faith. Let's, let's, Let's break that down. Those who are righteous, uh, those who have been declared righteous in the courtroom of God, that's justification, shall live. That's sanctification. That's present tense salvation. Justification, past tense salvation. Sanctification, present tense salvation. Shall live. And and the righteous will live by what? By who they have faith in. By who they, they trust in by who they believe in, Jesus Christ. Biblical faith is always in Jesus Christ. It's in Him that we we place our faith, our trust, our belief. He is the object of our faith. Are the pieces coming together? Either you live in the strength and protection of Christ or you're living in the weaknesses of your own insecurities, your own Capabilities or incapabilities, as the case may be. Either you live in the sanctification of Christ or you're living in your own sin. Think that through. Either you're living in the sanctification of Jesus Christ or you're living in your own sin. Other scriptures? How about uh, 1 Timothy 3.17? Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Ever see it again. Faith present tense. It's active. Faith that's that's lived out in service. Those who have served well gain. If you're not actively serving Christ, you're not living by faith. You may be saved, but you're not living like it. This applies to a lot of us in the church, folks. They've been saved, but they're not living by faith in Jesus Christ. And as such, they're not experiencing the blessings that faith brings. Woo! now that's a huge realization. Probably something most of the time churches don't want to talk about. A huge life-changing realization. And did you notice in that text that faith gives assurance? Paul says it's it, it, it's a great assurance. Have you ever noticed the the confidence that a, a humble relationship with the Lord gives to a person? Likewise, have you noticed the insecurity inactive or carnal believers have? In his book How to Begin the, the Christian Life, George Sweeting tells this story. In a in an Italian city stands a statue of a a, a Grecian maiden with a beautiful face, a, a graceful figure, and a noble expression. One day a little peasant girl came face to face with a statue in the square. She stood and stared and then went home to wash her face and comb her hair. The next day she came again to stand before the statue. Then she returned home once more, this time to mend her tattered clothing. Day by day, she changed. Her form grew more graceful. Her face more refined. Till she greatly reflected the beautiful statue. Sweeting uh, commented, She was transformed in appearance. Just so the spiritual man or woman must each day seek to conform to the perfect image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is how we experience the shield of faith. By living holy lives. By measuring our lives against the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. By coming again and again before our Lord, before His grace, before His truth. By giving Him power in our lives by taking His word to heart and implementing His truth in our lives. One final scripture. Hebrews 11 where the author says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is not nebulous. It's not personally contrived. It's specific. Biblical faith is always in God. Faith trusts in Jesus Christ, who he is, what he is, what he does, and what he's doing. The other thing to note in this uh, text is that faith receives God's reward. Faith seeks God and is rewarded in the process. I would assume that's why most of us are here this morning. Because we are seeking God. We want to find him. We want to discover His will for our lives. If you seek God, it demands that you pick up the shield of faith and all the other components in the armor of God and that you put them to use. Yes, you can play all the spiritual games you want, but the resounding fact is that you and I are at war. We are being assaulted by forces that desire to destroy us in any way it can. Protect yourself with a shield of faith. With it, you possess an assurance, a confidence, found nowhere else as you do the job you've been called to do. A a Fuller Seminary student uh, told this story. He might have been my kind of kid because this is the kind of stuff I did when I was a young boy. I fell in love with golf, and my parents gave me a, a golf club and a harmless wiffle-style golf ball, which with I could uh, hit around the backyard. I loved to swing the club and feel the and the feeling of hitting the ball, even though it wouldn't go very far because of its lightness and all the holes in it. This is probably where I enter the picture. One day, thinking my parents weren't home, I had the overwhelming temptation to feel the click of a real ball against the head of the club. I teed it up, and I gave it a a hard whack. Unfortunately, the ball hooked sharply from its intended flight and directly for one of the windows of our house and right through with a terrifying crash. The crash was immediately followed by a piercing scream. Oh, no, I ran into the house, burst into the living room, and there standing in front of the window was my mother, bleeding. I gasped. What had I done? I cried, Mother, I could have killed you. She shrugged and uh, hugged me and said, I'm okay, it's all right. I'm going to be all right. That seminary student concludes uh, by saying, in that moment, When I saw my mother bleeding, there were some things I could never do again in the backyard. I could never so much as carry a golf club across the lawn of our backyard. The sight of her standing there with blood flowing down that I had caused changed my behavior forever. We've all placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen His crucifixion, His death, His burial, His resurrection. Who He is and what He's done for us. His love for us. We've seen it. Can we ever be the same again? The only response faith leaves us with is to quit playing religious games. Pick up the armor of God and be about the business before us.